This week we're looking at the discipline of prayer. Are we disciplined when it comes to prayer? Do we understand the honor and the privilege and the beauty and the power of prayer? So before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. We are so grateful for who you are. We are in desperate need of who you are in our lives. Father, would you transform us? Mold us to look like Jesus in every way. We are in desperate need of you. What a privilege it is to be your church. What a joy, what a celebration. God, I thank you for this body that you have assembled. May you use us for your glory and for your kingdom advancement. It's in Jesus' name that we have this opportunity to pray. Amen. All right. So before we begin, or before we define what prayer is, because I was originally going to be like, okay, if we're going to talk about prayer, we should explain what prayer is. But then I realized that's not where we actually need to begin. We need to begin with a proper understanding that this is meant by God to be an inextricable part of the life of the believer and the life of the church. Because if we don't realize how important God calls prayer to be in the life of the church, quite frankly, who cares what it is? If, if I don't believe it to be important in my life, then the definition of it makes no real difference to me. I mean, right? Like, who's a mechanic? Do we have any mechanics? Okay, so there, there's probably information that mechanics know about cars that you guys have no idea what they are, right? Like, if we brought a mechanic up here and I was like, hey, start talking about the, the most nitty-gritty details of the engine. And they're breaking it down. I, for some of us, if it's our hobby, we might know the terms and we might actually know how it works. But for a lot of us, we'd hear these words and we'd be like, I, I don't care about those words because this is an important part of my life. So I realized if we're going to talk about prayer, we have to begin with looking at what God lays out as where prayer is meant to be in the lives of the believer and the lives of the church. And make no mistake, Scripture is abundantly clear that prayer must define the lives of the individual believers and subsequently the lives of the church. Isaiah 56, 6 through 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Fast forward to the New Testament. What was one of the passages we looked at last week where God says that my house is my people. My people are being built up into my house, into my dwelling place that the Lord describes as a house of prayer. Acts 1.14, talking about the early church, all these with one accord, not just the leaders, not just the leaders and their spouses, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, by prayer. Colossians 4, 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Other translations may say, devote yourselves to prayer. You cannot read scripture, you cannot engage with God's word, you cannot engage with God's expectations of our lives and of the church and not come away with a deep impression on the significance of prayer. We have to love this, we have to cherish this. What did we look at last week that we're going to remind ourselves of basically every single week? This is not done out of obligation. Everything we're about to talk about is not done because Sam told me so. It's not done because the elders expect me to do it. This must be engaged with a place of deep love for the Savior, of treasuring what He treasures, of cherishing what He cherishes, where our hearts reflect His, and it's very clear that God's heart reflects a love of prayer. And so from our place of deep love and desire for Jesus and desire to look like Jesus, we must be people who treasure and cherish and use and engage in prayer. This is the foundation laid out in Scripture. So now we can define it. Because interestingly enough, I think we've done one of two things to prayer in our lives. And my guess is that uh, all of us are somewhere on this pendulum swing. On one end of the pendulum, we have way overplayed it, and we've built it up to be this incredibly scary, intimidating thing that only the pastor can do. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say we have way more people here without a seminary degree than we do with one. So if prayer is reserved for people with a seminary degree with multiple MDivs, then we're in trouble. So on one end of the pendulum, we've swung to this extreme where prayer is something that's too scary for me, just a regular Christian, to engage in. I'm not special enough to pray. And then on the other end of the pendulum, we've swung to an unhealthy extreme of, who cares? It, it's no big deal. Remember when I said I'd quote your words back to you and we take an honest look at ourselves as a body? I've invited the people in this church to the pre-service prayer time and I've had multiple people say, eh, it's just prayer. Believer, if you ever say the sentence, it's just prayer, the very next words out of your mouth must be, Father, forgive me for that attitude. And so we've swung to these two extremes of it's just prayer, it's no big deal, who cares? Or we've swung to this extreme of, well, prayer is too special, it's too reserved, it's not for people like me. And so we need to have a proper understanding of what prayer really is. And most simply put, prayer is communication and fellowship with God. I, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Luke, I'm sorry. I think I, there we go. Thanks, man. It's just communication with God. It's engaging with him as a father. I want to read a definition from, we're not going to read this whole book. Some of you just got very scared. Uh, but this is a book that I, I, I engage with regularly. But uh, Wayne Grudem gives a great definition of prayer. He said, God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in him can increase. In, in fact, perhaps the primary emphasis of the Bible's teaching on prayer is that we are to pray with faith, which means trust or dependence on God. God is our creator, delights in being trusted by us as his creatures for an attitude of dependence is most appropriate. 
Praying in humble dependence also indicates that we are genuinely convinced of God's wisdom, love, goodness, and power, indeed of all the attributes that make up his excellent character. When we truly pray as persons in the wholeness of our character, we are relating to God as a person in the wholeness of his character. Thus, all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. It is only natural that God would delight in such activity and place much emphasis on it in his relationship with us. Prayer is fellowship with our Father. It's communication with our Father. It's not reserved for someone who's been a pastor for 20 years and, oh, now you can pray. First you have to serve as an elder and then you can pray. No. Prayer is for all of us. It's beautiful. It's accessible to all believers. And why is it accessible? So that deals with the one extreme, right? That prayer is this big mystical thing that's only reserved for a select few. No, if you're a believer, you have the privilege and the responsibility and the honor of prayer. What about the other extreme where it's no big deal? It's just prayer. I would come to pre-service prayer, but, direct quote, that's when I go and get coffee instead. I would come to pre-service prayer, but, and this goes back to my story at the beginning, I don't want to wake up 15 minutes earlier. We get here at 10.10, 10.15, I don't want to wake up earlier. I would go to prayer, but that's when I go to McDonald's. God, look, I know you talk about prayer, but have you ever had an Egg McMuffin? I mean, this is a real excuse in, in the lives of this church. So on the other end of the extreme where it's just prayer, why do I say that prayer is accessible and offered to all believers? Because we have to understand the holiness and the beauty and the significance of it. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Not because that's what you do. Not because it's tradition. We pray in the name of Jesus because that is the only way we have access to the throne of the Father. When Jesus died, when his blood was spilled for us and the curtain dividing the holy of holies was torn in two, it is Jesus' sacrifice that gives us access to God's throne. So when I stand before the throne of God, I am not standing there under my own authority and my own power and my own righteousness. I am standing before the throne of God in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. So when I pray, it must be in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. This is no small thing to toss aside. He is our mediator. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. And Jesus teaches this in multiple passages that you pray in my name. That is what makes prayer meaningful. And so we've dealt with the two extremes, and, and friends, we have to understand that as a believer, we are meant to pray but we are meant to do so with reverence and an understanding of the honor that it is. I mean, you all laughed when I said that I turned down the invitation to ride at the head of a Super Bowl parade because I didn't want to wake up a little bit earlier. I didn't want to rearrange my schedule. Why? Because that notion's ridiculous. Sam, if you claim to be a fan of the Steelers and you get this opportunity, you would do everything, right? Like, if I actually got that, didn't actually happen. But if they were like, hey, you want to ride at the head of the Super Bowl parade holding the Lombardi trophy? I would sleep at the stadium the night before. The honor of approaching God on his throne in prayer makes that look like an insult. You think of the greatest honor the world could extend you, and it looks like an insult compared to the honor of approaching the God the Father on his throne in prayer. It is one of the most incredible privileges of the church and of the believer that we get to pray. 
but it is also a command on our lives that we are to pray and be a church of prayer. And so the question is, are we disciplined in our pursuit of this? Are we training ourselves in this? If you've never worked out a day in your life, you don't show up to the gym once and look like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. It takes time, it takes work, it takes commitment and dedication. It takes discipline. It takes a relentless pursuit of prayer because prayer matters to God. So now how are we to pray? Continuing to talk about the theology of prayer, the the belief system around prayer. You look at, I think scripture lays out for us a proper prayer posture. And I'm not talking about seated, kneeling, hand. I mean, if prayer is eyes closed, hands folded, that is prayer. And scripture says, pray without ceasing. And that verse means pray nonstop every second of the day. Congratulations, every single one of us are in direct disobedience to scripture right now. Because I don't see anybody with their hands folded and their eyes closed praying. So maybe we've misunderstood prayer. And maybe we've taken that verse out of context a little bit. Maybe pray without ceasing means be disciplined in this. What are those verses we looked at? Continue steadfastly in prayer, in everything in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And so when I talk about the proper prayer posture, I'm talking about the posture of our hearts. I'm talking about the way in which we approach the throne of God, not our physical. And now look, for some of us, and here's a little practical thing. For some of us, there will be physical postures that put you in a mindset of prayer. If you're easily distracted, it's going to be hard to pray with your phone in your hands. And if you're doing it in front of the TV, so maybe for some of us, practically, prayer will be best if we, you know what, I'm going to go into my room, I'm going to close the door, I'm going to remove the distractions, and I'm going to pray. But the, por- the most important thing is where our hearts are. And that's what we see in Scripture laid out for us. That it must be from a place of surrender to God, submission to the Holy Spirit, to His leading in our lives, of understanding that we are not the commander, we are not the one in charge. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And that word there, helps. This does not mean, does in place of me. This verse is not saying, well, the Holy Spirit does the praying, so I don't have to. That word helps is to come alongside and work together. It's the same word with Martha and Mary. Lord, why won't my sister help me? Not come and do the work instead of me, but why won't my sister come and labor alongside of me? So scripture says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not, what is our weakness? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jude 1, 20-21, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourselves up, growth, progress, depth, discipline, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. If we're trying to pray apart from God, apart from the Holy Spirit, We're done. We're toast. But we don't grasp this because of something else that I hear, not just this church, every church I've ever been a part of, every body of believers I've ever been a part of. I have heard this phrase so many times, and it it simultaneously breaks my heart and drives me crazy. Well, all we can do now is pray. 
We've, we've tried every other option. I guess we're stuck with prayer. All we can do now is pray. Imagine you're a coach, a high school basketball coach in Chicago in the 90s. And you get a call one day, unknown number. You pick it up, you're like, hello? Hey, Mike, you're a coach of a uh, high school basketball team. Guess what? This is also Mike, Michael Jordan. The NBA just passed a new rule. NBA players are allowed to play in high school games. We don't have anything going on this weekend. Me, Scotty, Dennis, you know, whole team, we'd like to come play for you. Mike's like, yeah, cool, come on out. His team's losing in the fourth quarter. He turns to his assistant coach, he's like, well, against these high schoolers, I guess, I guess all we can do now is send in Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls. His assistant coach would be like, but why didn't we start with that? But we say things, well, all we can do now is pray. Because we don't understand that it's co-laboring with the Holy Spirit done in his power. And maybe we've been trying to do it on our own, and that's why it feels like the last resort instead of the first option. Because we don't understand the proper heart posture of prayer. Jesus lays it out beautifully in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the key phrase there. That reveals their heart motive. Don't twist this passage and say corporate prayer is not. Guys, we started off with a whole bunch of verses that make it very clear where to pray with other believers. The motive is revealed here. It says that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What do we see in Jesus' explanation of prayer? We see humility. We see simplicity, and we see earnestness. That is the heart posture. A humble heart, an earnest heart, a simple heart. What's one of the most famous prayers in the Bible that Jesus held up as an example and says, I tell you, that prayer was answered. Father, forgive me a sinner. Or, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner, depending on your translation. Five words. And Jesus says, pray like that. That prayer was humble. That prayer was earnest. That prayer was simple. That prayer was done in reverence to a holy God. This must be the posture of our heart as we engage in prayer. And I know there are a lot of questions about prayer. What happens when God doesn't answer a prayer? Are there prayers that God won't answer? I've been praying for this for 20 years. Why hasn't it been? I know there are so many questions about prayer. This, today, this is a, an overview. The series that we're going to dive into after this one on First and Second Peter, we will have a chance to really do a deep dive into some of those hard questions about prayer and figure out what we believe together as a body based on what Scripture tells us to be true. Not what we believe based on what we feel, but what we believe based on what God says to be true. So we will we'll talk about those questions. If you have specific questions, brief aside, send them to Mario and I so that we can prepare and we can be ready. We want to deal with any specific thoughts or questions you guys have, but we'll be looking at some of those specific details coming up. Today is about the overview. So we've looked at prayers meant to be integral in the lives of the believers and the lives of the church. We've looked at what prayer really is. We've looked at the proper heart posture of prayer. I mean, this is as clear as I see laid out in Scripture, the beauty and the power and the simplicity of prayer, of fellowship with our Father. 
Scripture says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. It says Ezekiel was a person with a nature just like you and I, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for years. Prayer is taken of the utmost seriousness in Scripture. Why did Jesus withdraw from the crowds? Jesus, you're doing this ministry. You're healing people. You're feeding people. Why would you withdraw from this work to pray? The disciples didn't ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to heal people. Teach us how to draw a large crowd. Teach us how to do all these incredible signs and wonders. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. We cannot be a believer and not see the significance and the beauty of prayer. And if we don't have that, just like with Scripture, okay, I don't want this, then start there. Start there, Lord. Give me a heart that appreciates prayer. Give me a heart that craves prayer. Give me a heart that desires this. Begin with that. And then just like last week, I also want to look at some practical ways that we can pursue this. Again, entirely based in Scripture. My guess is some of you have even heard this before. If you're one who struggles with prayer, you're like, I, I don't know how to pray. I hear people say, that. I don't know how to pray. I'm not comfortable praying because I don't know how to. Well, Scripture lays out four ways to approach prayer. Acts. I mean, can everybody count to four? One, two, three, four? Good. I'm just going to assume that you all can. You can remember four things. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication, fancy word that means make a request. We're going to look at all four of these as practical ways to pursue prayer in your life. Because as we go through these, take inventory. As we lay out what prayers of adoration are, what prayers of confession are, what prayers of thanksgiving are, what prayers of supplication are, do inventory. And you're like, oh, wow, I don't know if I've ever taken the time to pray a prayer of adoration. Okay, well, now there's a very practical place that you can seek to grow in this week. So we're going to look at all of these because, again, these are all based in Scripture. It's where we must begin. It's where we must draw truth from. And a prayer of adoration is quite simply praising God for who He is and what He's done. 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 2, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Hannah prayed by praising God for who he is. 1 Kings 8, 22 through 24. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Solomon prayed a prayer of adoration, praising God for who he is and what he's done. Psalm 145, we won't read the whole thing, but this is a beautiful demonstration of a prayer of adoration. Psalm 150, 1 through 2, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Nehemiah 9, read it, a great chapter, praising God in prayer. Revelation 5.13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Throughout Scripture we see God's people approach Him with prayers of adoration. Adoration should be a part of our prayer life. 
when Tim prayed to start the service, if you listen to the verses he read and then listen to his prayer, his prayer was directly fed by Scripture. Scripture abounds with praise of God. So if our prayer life is fed by Scripture, by God's Word, then naturally our prayer life must abound with praise of God. The first place to do personal inventory and see, okay, do I need to grow in prayer? Do I need to be more disciplined? Do I pray prayers of adoration? Then what do you have next? Confession. This is not the easy one, but this is, again, biblically laid out and necessary. Confession are prayers of self-reflection, self-evaluation, and repentance. Maybe when it comes to prayer, some of us are going to have to start here this week. Father, forgive me, I have not desired prayer. Father, forgive me, I have dismissed prayer as meaningless, as unimportant in my life. Father, forgive me for my attitude towards prayer. Confession, repentance, transform my behavior, change, growth. Psalm 32, starting in verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. If I just don't talk about my sins... That'll make it so much easier, right? Like if I can just pretend they don't exist and sweep them under the rug, that'll make life way more comfortable. No, David says, when I kept silent, I wasted away. It killed me. It ate me up. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. David put that Selah in there to pause and reflect on this. Avoiding God with our sins, with our iniquities, wastes us away. Pause and reflect on that, David wrote. Then he says the flip side. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. David again says, pause and reflect on this. When I would not go before the Lord honestly and confess, I wasted away, it killed me. But when I did, when I prayed prayers of confession and repentance, you forgave my iniquity. Pause and reflect on this. And then he says, therefore, his conclusion to this, his conclusion to this scenario is, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lamentations 3, 40 to 41. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Let us test and examine our ways. Search me and know me, God. And I think I'm doing okay, but if there's anything grievous in me, reveal it and lead me in the opposite direction. Daniel 9, 3 and 4 and 20. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, and then we're not reading verses 5 through 19 because it's just Daniel confessing. He says, I prayed to the Lord, confessing, and then he lays out, here's everything I confessed. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting myself, I mean, Daniel 9, you'll see it, we're going to read it this week together. Daniel 9 is a great balance of a prayer of confession and repentance that feeds naturally into a prayer of praise and adoration of who God is. 
Daniel 9 is a beautiful chapter on prayer. So maybe as we're doing inventory, we're like, ooh, uh, yeah, once a year I, you know, hey, God, forgive me for my sin this year, and we're just going to kind of leave it at that. Maybe the prayer of confession is missing in our lives. And if we're going to be disciplined in training ourselves for prayer, maybe this week we need to begin there. Maybe that's a practical place to start. What's the next letter? T, Acts, Thanksgiving. Prayer should be grateful. First and foremost, because we're standing before the throne of God, not by our own righteousness, but in the blood of Jesus. I mean, if you say, I have nothing to thank God for, no, the fact that you can talk to Him gives you everything you need to thank God for. So maybe we're missing prayers of thanksgiving. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Five verses, five reasons to be thankful to God. Prayers of gratitude should have a place in our hearts. Isaiah 12, 4, And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. Gratitude that leads to praise. Ephesians 5, 18-20, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17-18, Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will that you thank Him in all circumstances. Church, are we in obedience to God's will? I mean, prayers of gratitude must have a place in our lives. I did this exercise in high school, and I had the chance to share it with, I think I alluded to this story. I walked into homeroom one day, and I was happy. It was Monday morning. We got to homeroom like 7.45. I was happy. My teacher stopped me. He said, okay, I got to ask, what's wrong with you? I said, what? What? She said, there is no reason that you should be so happy. It's, it's 7.45 on a January Monday. Like, why are you happy? And I was like, oh, I've got too much of my life to be thankful for to not be happy. She said, no, 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 it's 7.45 on a Monday. Winter break just ended. What do you mean? I said, okay, let's start. I woke up this morning. And I, I mean, I did this with my teacher in front of the class. Like, kids are filing in. I woke up this morning. You know how many people didn't wake up this morning? I woke up this morning and all my loved ones woke up this morning. Do you know how many people can't say that? I woke up in a bed. I woke up with a roof over my head. I woke up and took a hot shower that probably went on a little bit too long because I have unlimited access to water whenever I want it. I brushed my teeth with clean water. I walked into my bedroom and had a pick of clothes. I walked upstairs and had a pick of food. Then I came to an education. I was like, by 7.30 in the morning, I've received more great things to be grateful for than the majority of this world. She said, I can't believe you think that way. But I'm going to start trying to do that. Guys, we, we have so much to be grateful for. I, I mean, more than we could count. And I love the man who just said amen. 
Because when I was talking about this with Phil, one of our elders, we were talking about the spiritual series. I didn't tell Phil what was in my, Phil, did I tell you what was in my notes before you made your comment? I had the name Gene Drummond written down in my notes on this prayer. And when I said to Phil, yeah, we're going to talk about prayer, you know, and I didn't even tell him adoration, confession. Like, I just said, we're talking about prayer. Phil's immediate comment, he's like, man, I love praying with Gene. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say thank you as much as I do hear Gene when he prays. I mean, you pray with Gene and it's thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for this, thank you for that. And then when he finally gets around to asking God for something, because at some point he's going to say, Lord, thank you for the chance to serve. And when he finally gets around to asking God for something, it's please give me more chances to serve. Gene prays with a deep heart of gratitude. And I love it. And what's been really special to observe. So we gather for prayer before the service every single Sunday at 10 to ask God to move in this way, that we would be diminished, that we would decrease, that he would increase, that he would be magnified. And since Gene has started coming to that pre-service prayer time, I've noticed and I've heard more people around him start to pray prayers of gratitude because that spirit is infectious. Guys, pray like Gene when it comes to prayers of gratitude. He models it for us beautifully. And if you're not at the pre-service prayer, you won't have heard it. Because corporate prayer matters as the body gathers together to be encouraged by one another and sharpened by one another. You have prayers of thanksgiving. Maybe that's what's missing from your life practically. And then you have prayers of supplication. Those are prayers of request. Make no mistake, these have a place in our lives. Prayers of request. Absolutely. I mean, goodness, we've got two slides that we're going to spend looking at these of things where God's people go in prayer before the Lord to ask Him for things. And the danger here is we see this abused. Absolutely, we see this abused where we just treat God like a genie. I only go to Him in prayer when I need something. But when you see something abused, the answer is not to abandon it. The answer is to make sure, okay, is this biblical? If it is, then how do we do it in a biblically appropriate way, not reject it entirely? So supplication should have a place in the prayer lives of believers. First and foremost, for our needs. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. This is Jesus says, hey, you want to learn how to pray? Pray, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. Which of you, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How devastated would you be if you've got kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces, whatever? How devastated would you be if you found out they needed something that you had in your ability to give to them? You said, why didn't you come to me? Well, I didn't think you loved me that much. Well, I, I just, I doubted that you could provide it for me. I mean, that would crush you. If Violet grows up, right, and she's like, well, you know, I found out I was hungry all day. Well, why? Why didn't you come and ask me for a snack, honey? Well, because I don't think you can provide for me. I mean, that would kill me. So guys, prayers of supplication where we're depending, where we're revealing a dependent heart upon the Father, 
It's got a place in Scripture. It should have a place in our lives as well. James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. See, our daily needs aren't just physical and material. What's wrong with saying, Lord, my kids were sick all night? All three of them. All three kids were sick. I went out this morning, there was a flat tire. I am in a terrible mood. I do not have patience for my coworkers today. Lord, give me your spirit of peace in my conversations. I don't understand the Bible when I read it. Okay, well, have you prayed asking for understanding? No. Start there. I mean, go to God with our needs. Make these requests known to Him. What else should we ask for? Evangelism. You remember last January we were preaching on evangelism and I challenged this church, this week pray for open doors to declare the gospel and then we shared our testimonies. Do you remember how many cool stories came out of that? Conversations in Goodwill? I mean, we had one lady. Do you remember that? She was like, I was praying for an open door and in the middle of my prayer, a knock happened on my front door and it was a neighbor asking about God. We had our kids having conversations in elementary schools, middle schools. We had conversations at the grocery store with coworkers who have worked with us for a long time and never once asked us what we believe. I mean, like when we prayed for open doors, God blew them open as only he can. Scripture lays this out, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. At least once or twice a week, Adela and I stand over Violet's crib and we ask that God would give her the heart of a missionary and call her into the field. Why? Because it's pretty selfish and immature of me to say, Lord, raise up harvest workers, but from other families. Keep, keep my kids safe and easy and comfortable. Don't ask anything too hard of my family. Just, just do that. You know, raise up the Wilson kids, but, but keep Violet safe. No, if I'm not willing to begin with my own family, shame on me. Jesus says, pray for harvest workers. Church, are we praying for that? Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, praying at all times, how? In the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication requests for all the saints and also for me. What? He says, hey, make this request on my behalf. What is that request? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. When was the last time you prayed for one another? That God would open up doors at their job and the words to boldly proclaim the gospel. Shoot, when was the last time you dared to pray that for yourself? Lord, I've got to run errands. Would you put people in my path at Joanne Fabric who desperately need to hear the gospel and would you give me the words to boldly declare it in the middle of the fake flower section? Why can't the gospel be spread there? Why can't the gospel be, be spread in the plumbing aisle at Lowe's? Are we praying for words of boldness to declare the mystery of the gospel? Colossians 4, 3 through 4, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He is literally in chains writing this, and he's not saying, pray that my difficult circumstances get easier. He's saying, pray that evangelism happens in these difficult circumstances. Related to that, we are called to pray for the faith of other believers. One of my daily prayers is that God would take you all deeper. 
I mean just turn your faith into a raging fire that sweeps through your neighborhood and your homes and your jobs. 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Colossians 1, 7, 4, 12, and 13, Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's, he's identified as a servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. Wow! I mean, three times Paul just emphasizes that this guy works so hard for Christ Jesus. What work is he doing? Surely this guy is planting churches like crazy. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Be like Epaphras. We're also called to pray for the world around us. I mean very literally, locally, and large scale. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29.7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Wait, hold up, God. I'm here in exile as a, as a political prisoner, a social prisoner. I didn't want to be here. This is a hostile kingdom. How am I to pray for it? Pray for its welfare. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Are you praying for the world around us? Sam, hold up. I'm fine with doing that with the other church down the road. But I'm not praying for, for those people, those ones who disagree with me. Those ones who are antagonistic towards me, legitimately antagonistic towards your church. No way. Surely I'm not meant to pray for the people like that. Surely I'm not meant to pray for the people I don't like, who don't like me, who mistreat me. That's where the line ends, right? We have this very real question. I'm not belittling this. We have a very real question and pain of, okay, what about the people I don't like? What about the people I don't get along with? What about the people who believe differently than me? What about the people who are hateful towards me and their speech and their actions? What about those people? Good thing God gave us his word because he lays it out for us. Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back for your evil ways, for why will you die? That person you can't stand who is incredibly antagonistic towards the church. I mean, think of whatever group you want to think of. Think of whoever you want to think of who is the most antagonistic towards the church of Jesus Christ. And God says, I have no pleasure in their death. My pleasure is that they will turn back and repent. That's where my heart is. How dare my heart not be in line with the Savior? Matthew 5, 44 through 48. Jesus speaking. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to be a child of God? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute the church. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Romans 12, 17. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay him, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our heart must be for their salvation. Wait a minute. David all the time prayed imprecatory. Imprecatory is the big fancy words for prayers against. All the time in, in the Psalms, I see these prayers of, Lord, strike down my enemies, right? First off, there's over 140 Psalms. There's about a dozen imprecatory prayers. So 90% of David's prayers and praises are not against. And when he does pray, he specifically says, I pray against evil. Not against individual, I pray against evil. This is my prayer, that evil would be struck down. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God desires their repentance. He desires their salvation. Shame on us if we do not do the same. So if I'm going to pray, if I'm going to pray for someone who is legitimately antagonistic towards my Christian beliefs, and there are plenty of people who are, then how should I pray for them? Psalm 83, 16 through 18. Fill their faces with shame. I like that part that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. The prayer is for their repentance, for their declaration of Jesus as Lord. That is where the heart of the Father is. It's where our heart must be as well. I mean, this is prayer. It's incredible. It's so rich. It's so deep. It is the well that will not run dry because it is made possible by Jesus, the source of living water. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to the Father on His throne. Prayer needs to be a treasure in our lives. And to that end, I'm, I'm giving you all something I want you to be praying for, or praying about, rather. I've been praying about this. I've been, I've been considering this for, I don't know, at least six months, eight months. And then I brought it to the elders and to Mario and started to get their feedback. I feel burdened to, to create a culture of Scripture and prayer. I mean, that's, if this church is built on Scripture and prayer, all right, I'll give my blood for that. And so we're launching a new prayer ministry. Uh, maybe middle of February, maybe start of March. We want to give you time to pray about this. It's going to be very simple. I'm laying out the details now so you can understand what you're praying about. Weekly, there will be a responsibility. I'm not going to be checking in on you. I'm not going to show up at your house. But if you agree to do this, right? Mike and Sarah agree. They're like, yep, we're in. We feel burdened by this. Cool. So Mike and Sarah are on a text chain, email chain, whatever. And every week they say, hey, this week we're praying about these things. Okay, cool. On their own, in their prayer life, they pray for these things. Once a month, the prayer ministry will get together here at the church and we'll pray for an aspect of this ministry. We'll pray like Epaphras. So once a month, you have to physically come to the church and we will pray like Epaphras for this church body, for an aspect of this ministry. And then once a month, you will get together with somebody else on the prayer ministry to pray for one another, to know one another. I hear so many of you say, I want deeper fellowship. What better place to have it than before the throne of God in prayer? 
So Mike and Sarah are doing it, Sam and Adeline are doing it, Pam and Brian are doing it, right? One month, Pam and Adeline get together, the next month, Adeline and Sarah get together, the next month, Pam and Sarah get, you see, okay? Make sense, right? Like once a month, you're gonna get together with just somebody else on the prayer team. So this ministry will have two requirements a month and then just a personal ownership of prayer. But if we're gonna be a church that's built on prayer, it begins with being people who are built on prayer. And we're gonna take this ministry very seriously. So I'm asking you all to pray if this is a way. I mean, Epaphras, Paul identified him as a servant of Jesus who has worked so hard on your behalf. I'm asking you if you would pray, Lord, are you calling me to be Epaphras in this church? I believe prayer matters. We are going to pursue it as a church together. So please be weighing that option considering if this is a way that you could serve the ministry of God. And then this week specifically, we're going to read John 17, Daniel 9, 1 Chronicles 29, and 2 Chronicles 6. Four chapters. We've got little cards for you by the door. We'll be handing them out. Rather than if you're trying, if you're like, oh, I never take a picture quick enough, we've got cards you can use as a bookmark in your Bible. It's great. We're going to read these chapters. And then we're just going to start building habits of praying in that range. If you listen to adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, you're like, yeah, supplication, I got that down. Thanksgiving, not so much. All right, then start building a habit of praying prayers of gratitude. Adoration is missing. Start having, praying prayers of adoration. And then the prayer ideas are, Lord, teach me to pray. Give me a desire to pray. Teach me how to pray. Reveal where my prayer life is lacking. Seek his will in this. And then the connect element, as we seek to not only grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with Jesus, but our fellowship with one another, reach out to one other person from this church this week and pray with them. Pray for them, pray with them. If you can get physically together, awesome. Grab coffee, do breakfast, lunch, whatever. You want to have somebody over to your house for dinner, get the whole family involved, cool. You're busy, they're busy, maybe it's a phone call. Okay, you can pray over the phone with somebody. There's no problem in that. But let's connect with one another in prayer as well. Those are the challenges this week as we seek to become a church disciplined in prayer. Please join me. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for your name. We praise you for the gift and the privilege of prayer. Forgive us for when we belittle it. Forgive us for when we ignore it. Forgive us for when we think we're too good to pray for people we don't like. Lord, forgive me for when I have not been faithful in these prayers. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us in our prayers. And so, Lord, we just ask that this would become a church of prayer. That this house, your house, would be a house of prayer. May that be true in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again.